0: Good morning, Springbrook. In case I haven't met you, my name is Kathy, and I'll be leading your worship today with the help of this wonderful uh, team with me. Um, We're so glad that all of you are here, for those of you that are here in person, and also those of you who are uh, viewing online. For um, anyone who's watching at the 9 o'clock hour, we do have hosts available that are there to answer any questions for you and pray for you. All you have to do is click on request prayer, and it'll take you to a private chat, and we can, you can talk with, uh, with our host. So if, if uh, the rest of you could rise in body or in spirit, we're going to start with our call to worship. It comes from Psalms 37. Delight your, yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday be still before the lord and wait patiently for him so if you'll join me in bringing worship to our god and hopefully it'll bring you peace and um, he will delight in what we have to sing for him
1: is here to set the captives free, for who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah, He's roaring with power and fighting our battle. Sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord The world. His blood breaks the chain. every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb, every knee will bow before
2: him. Amen to that. This morning, our scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, um, verses 1 through 3. The author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The author in this passage is seeking to a group of people that are being persecuted for their faith, They're struggling in their sin, they're, they're pretty beat down and weary. And so in this moment, we just sing, the Lord Almighty, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And this passage reminds us that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So maybe there's some persecution in your life. I, I I don't know. Maybe you're just struggling with a pattern of sin. Maybe you're just trying to figure out what this whole thing is about. But we're about to sing, come to the altar. And so We have a great and powerful Lord Almighty that no one can stop. So let's bring those before him this morning.
3: drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood
0: Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. What would we do without this precious gift that you have given us? That we can bring our sins to the altar and know that you have already forgiven us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Dear Lord, as we uh, continue with our worship to you, we just uh, pray that you will accept and love what we brought to the altar to you this morning. And now, if you will prepare our hearts and our minds and our souls that we will hear your teaching and take it to heart and apply it to our lives, that we will be the Christians you ask us to be. Bless everyone here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
4: Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a few moments as we continue our series, The Crossroads Between Faith and Fear. But we are so glad that uh, you are here with us today. I have just a couple of quick announcements for you. If you're uh, new to Springbrook, uh, we're glad you're with us this morning. You've got a connection card in your chair. And now you can just uh, let us know you were here, share as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. If you're watching online with us this morning, we're glad you're uh, with us as well. Uh, Welcome. And uh, yeah, so we're just uh, grateful for the great things uh, God is doing in and through our our body of Christ. And so we're glad that you can be a part of that. Hey, just want to let you know that uh, starting in two weeks, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, um, we're going to begin construction and repairs on our HVAC system. And so we provided an update on that about a month ago. Our congregation has approved uh, those repairs, and so if you have things scheduled in the building um, during the week, um, or if you have questions about our HVAC repair initiative, uh, you can go to our website. Uh, You can find all the information that you will need there to schedule the repairs, but we are looking forward to being able to get a better handle on our heating and air conditioning, right? And so we are so grateful for... uh, Uh, just for your supporting the work of this ministry and our ability to be able to have these repairs done on our facilities. And so uh, if you've got any questions about our HVAC uh, repair initiative, or if you're interested in helping us to be able to offset some of the costs for that, um, just go to our website. We've got information there. But thank you uh, for supporting the work that God is doing in and through this ministry as we keep up and maintain uh, our building. And I also wanted to let you know that uh, in two weeks, on September 11th, our children's ministry is going to uh, full services at 9 in the 11 o'clock service, and so that'll be a change for us. Um, we have families that are coming back to Springbrook now. We've got many new families, and so we're in a position now to be able to support both of those services, and so I just want to thank all of those uh, that are serving and using their gifts to help us invest in this next generation of kids. There's over 150 people that serve back there in children's ministry, and so it's exciting for us to be able to um, offer that as a part of our ministry now, our fifth and sixth grade. uh, Club 56 ministry is going to be meeting at the 11 o'clock service, but if you have any questions about our children's ministry, about our upcoming schedules, please be sure um, to visit our website. You'll find some information uh, there. And then also, just want to let you know that we kicked off Celebrate Recovery just a little bit over a year ago. It's been exciting to see how that ministry has just grown and flourished under the leadership of Rick Abbott. I'm going to invite Rick Abbott to come out now. And uh, we have an open group uh, gathering that meets here every Tuesday. It's been primarily men, but I know the ladies have been uh, asking about that. It's been exciting to see um, some movement in that area. So tell us a little bit about what's happening with our Celebrate Recovery ministry.
5: Um, About the men began to, uh, meet, and right away we started praying for having a women's component to celebrate recovery, and, um, uh, here two years later, we're <laughs> beginning to see... Keep think, that on your chin.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we're beginning to
5: see the, uh, the fruit of those prayers. We're seeing, uh, components and leadership coming together piece by piece, and, um, and it's really exciting to watch God work in that way. Um, I'm really excited to be able to invite women to the first Celebrate Recovery um, small uh, step study, which is going to be in September uh, September 6th. Um, usually, when we say the word recovery, um, we think alcohol and drugs. But... Um, might surprise you to know that only one in three people come to Celebrate Recovery for that reason. Um, But Celebrate Recovery does a a really great job of dealing with those issues. But most people come um, from layers of pain. And um, the first layers of that pain, um, Celebrate Recovery has a motto. That is that we find freedom from our hurts hang-ups, and habits, our hurts can come from as far back as our childhood or can come from more recent times. Maybe your hurts come from a dysfunctional family. Maybe you suffered a childhood trauma like divorce or separation, or maybe you were the victim of verbal, physical, or emotional abuse. If you have any of these hurts at that first level of pain, Celebrate Recovery can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, We develop the next level of pain, our hang-ups, when we stuff those issues, when we we hide them, we hold them in. People say, how are you? And they go, I'm fine. But really, inside, you're holding on to all of those things that you're carrying from childhood, And they begin to metastasize. They begin to ferment in you. And they can become things like um, bitterness, resentment, anger, anxiety, depression, trust issues, feeling inadequate, having negative thoughts, Um, all of those things. Now you have two layers of things that you're dealing with. Not only the hurts from childhood, but now you have bitterness and things that you're dealing with on that second level. So it starts to look attractive when we look to things in the world to heal us, but they're false. The world offers us quick fixes to make us feel better, but they quickly turn into habits like alcohol. Drug abuse, anger, codependence, eating issues, shopping addiction, control issues, sex addiction, and gambling. September 6th, ladies, come. Yeah. Um, uh, 7 o'clock. So I want to say this one last thing. Recovery is fun. Um, you develop the most wonderful and intimate relationships You'll have an adventure of self-discovery. You'll experience the power, the healing power of Jesus Christ. So um, there's four little booklets. The questions are fun to answer. They're all about you. And um, it's just fun to be in that group. So first night, come to a um, non uh, committal uh, meeting. It's just an introduction. No one's going to call you or follow up or anything. Completely anonymous. Come and get a real full um, description of the program. Yeah.
4: Rick, I want to thank you for your leadership in our Celebrate Recovery. I know that um, Uh, all of us in one way or another struggle with hurts, habits, or hang-ups. And so if you've got any questions uh, about Celebrate Recovery, I'd encourage you to visit our website. We've got a grief share group if you're overcoming the loss of a loved one. And we have our small group network uh, is just an important part of how we encourage and support one another. So if you've got any questions about Celebrate Recovery or any of our ministries, uh, please be sure to visit our website or check out our app. Uh, Again, Rick, I want to thank you for your leadership. So bless you, friend. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment. Thanks for being with us.
6: A lot of people have a hard time letting go of things. Uh, we accumulate stuff in our life and then uh, we don't like to get rid of it. We don't like to uh, uh, um, let it go. And so what we do instead is we, we have this idea in our minds that, well, I have to keep it because it may come in handy one day. So I don't know if you've noticed this or not. As you drive around your neighborhood and perhaps even at your very own house, you have a garage, and your $30,000 or perhaps more, perhaps less car is sat outside in all kinds of weather while your junk that maybe you'll have some use for in the future sits nice and warm in your garage, We don't like letting go of things, and therefore, everywhere you go, you see public storage places, so we pay somebody a lot of money every month in order to protect and store the stuff that we may possibly need but never really do, and often we actually forget what we even have there, because for many of us, we we just like hanging on to things, things Uh, uh, bring back memories. We have certain things that really are not particularly useful. Some of them are even worn out or perhaps broken, but we don't want to get rid of them, even if it means we get a brand spanking new version of it from the store, because, well, it just... We've just had it for so long. It's hard sometimes to let go. You know, uh, if you uh, have ever... Uh, talked with a small child and tried to exchange something with them. It's very interesting because they'll have—you may have something very valuable, something very precious to give to them. And, and if you've ever tried to to exchange it and say, "Oh, those 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 pebbles that you found outside, why don't you give them to me?" And if you give them to me, I will give you this. Maybe something of much more value or, 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 or it will be, okay, those those 10 pennies you've got, you give those 10 pennies to me and I will give you a dollar bill. And they don't get the fact that one piece of paper is worth more than 10 of those coins. And they don't want to let go of it even though there's something more valuable, something more precious they get in response. You know, sometimes we go through life and we have this struggle with never wanting to let go of things again that can be for all sorts of different reasons but becomes even more difficult when it is something that truly is precious it's hard when we see our kids getting older and we realize we need to loosen the grip it's hard when we find ourselves in those times of life where we have to we have to let go of a dream we have to release a loved one. It can be so heartbreaking. But you know, sometimes in the Christian life, following Jesus means letting go of something from the past. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's a laying down in order to move forward. But what do we do? How do we respond when following God means laying down something that is so precious to us? What do we do when God tells us to leave behind something of immeasurable worth to us in recent weeks we've been studying together looking at God's word as we've followed along some episodes in the life of a man by the name of Abraham Abraham throughout the scriptures is described as a a man of great faith and yet as we've seen repeatedly he he struggles he wrestles he finds himself again and again at that crossroads of faith and fear And as again we turn to God's word this morning, we're going to be spending our time in Genesis chapter 22. But I want to uh, give us a little bit of background by first reading to us a few verses from chapter 21. We are going to see how he responded when God told him to lay down something of great worth. Genesis Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. If you've been here in recent weeks, we've seen again and again and again that God had promised that he would give to Abraham a son, a a son of promise, an heir. And Abraham and Sarah have waited, and they've waited, and they've waited. In fact, they've waited 25 years since God made that first promise. And now here is Abraham at 100 years old. Here is Sarah at 90 years old. And at a time Where from a human perspective, it was utterly impossible. God fulfilled his promise and gave them a son, Isaac. Now, as we jump to the passage we're going to be spending a little bit of time in this morning in chapter 22, we see something that is almost too incredible for words. And we discover that God sometimes allows us to go through a season of trial in order to reveal whether we trust Him enough to obey Him. After these things, verse 1 of chapter 22, after these things, God tested Abraham. And He said to Abraham, and Abraham said to him, Here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is staggering. Here at the beginning of this chapter, after waiting so long. And by the way, at this point, uh, uh, Isaac is now probably about 12 or 13 years old. So there's a little bit of time that has passed. But after waiting so long. God says, Abraham, Abraham says, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Whatever you would have me do. And God says, go take your son. Notice this, you're only son whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, it's very important that we notice that that we are told up front in in verse 1 that God tested Abraham. We'll get to more of that in just a moment, but that's very important. That is information that we have that Abraham did not have. But there's helpful information. Because as Moses. Uh, who penned this. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As he's reporting to the people of Israel. That which happened. He wants them. And he wants us to understand. It's going to be okay. This is a test. It's going to work out all right. That God, in fact, never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed, as we'll discover. In fact, later on, as we get to the, the giving of the law in the Old Testament, one of the things that we see very clearly is that human sacrifice is utterly prohibited. It was practiced by many of the surrounding pagan nations, but the people of God were to recognize the inherent value, worth, and dignity of each person. And they were not to seek to worship God in such a practice. But we need to understand that this would have been a heart-wrenching call to Abraham. Now, here we're told that this is a test, and uh, we need to understand that not every trial or difficulty that we go through is for this purpose that we see here in this chapter. But sometimes, in God's wisdom, He does have this kind of purpose, even in the midst of our testing of our trials. And even if we are going through something which may not be for this express purpose, times of trial do expose. The condition of our faith. And that's really what we're going to see unfolding here. We're told that God tested Abraham. This test was concerning whether or not he would give up his son, his, his only son who he loved. We don't know for sure because we're not told. But it may very well have been that after waiting and longing for this child for so long that maybe Abraham's kind of started to idolize his son. his son has become uh, the focus, perhaps. And maybe this test, in part, was to say, Abraham, do you love me even more than him? But whatever the case may be, we see that this test would have been so difficult, so painful. And and, and some of us may be stuck even at the, that first verse, this whole idea that God would test. And we maybe think to ourselves, are you telling me that God is like some bored monarch who sits in heaven thinking about what kind of cruel games he can play? And you know what? There's a lot of people who have that kind of image of God. Certainly when we study things like Greek mythology, many of those, those false gods in Greek mythology had that kind of thing. They would almost dare one another. And, and it would all be about sort of playing about, uh, with the fate of humanity. But that's not the God of the Bible. But, but so what do we take away from this idea that God would test Abraham? Well, it may surprise you that actually in the Old Testament and the New, we see this idea sometimes of testing. In fact, in the first five books of the Bible alone, we find uh, testing spoken of 15 times. Uh, We call those first five books either the Torah or uh, the Pentateuch. And we find testing spoken of on 15 different occasions. And and testing always falls into one of two categories. It is either God testing his people, and and we see clearly that he has the divine and sovereign right to do that. And, And his testing of his people is never so that he can learn. Our God is perfect. He is omniscient. He knows all things. His testing is never so that he can learn, but rather it is in a sense to activate faith in the lives of his people. You see, uh, we, can, we can give a promise, we can say, oh, I believe this, but it is not until we are tested in that that we actually see for ourselves that we truly do believe that. So uh, uh, sometimes in in these instances, it is God testing of his people. In other instances, it is people testing God, and that is almost always prohibited. It is not for us to put God to the test. But what's really interesting is that God's testing of his people is always, Always, in every one of those passages, is always connected to his clear promise. What does that mean? It means that in every instance, God has declared his promise to his people. Just as he did to Abraham. He has said, Abraham, I will give you a son. I will give you an heir. And through him, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. God has made a clear promise. And in every instance, the test is connected to the promise. Even in the book of Exodus, God provides manna. Uh, a strange bread for the people of Israel as they are in the wilderness all throughout those 40 years. And he gives instruction over it. He says, every single day I will provide manna. I will provide fresh manna every day. So go out and collect what you need for each day. Do not keep it over for the next day, but trust me that I will provide it every day. And then uh, on the day before the Sabbath... Collect twice as much because on that day, on the Sabbath day, you shall not work. You shall not gather. Trust me that you'll have enough. So God makes this promise. And even there in that passage in Exodus, it says, and so God tested his people in this. So God's testing is always connected to his promise. And the essence of what he's doing is he is saying, do you trust me enough to obey me? So whenever we see this idea, it is to, in a sense, activate that faith. It is to, not so that he can learn, so that we can discover what it is to obey God and to find that he is utterly faithful and reliable. So what we see here is that God tested Abraham. And the test that he gave must have been so Agonizing, take your son and present him on the altar in this place as a burnt offering. Give up. Lay down the very thing that you have longed for. Is there somewhere in our lives right now where God may be asking us do you trust me enough to obey me i know that you love that thing but do you trust me enough to obey me i know that you think that those 10 Pennies are so valuable, but do you trust that if you give those up to me that I can give you something better? We learn, as we read through the remainder of chapter 22, that just as Abraham had to learn obedience we too can learn to trust and obey God when we hold nothing back from Him. So we look at uh, what it says next. It says, beginning in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac the son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. It's interesting that Abraham obeyed. He got up early in the morning. He did this. He stepped and set out, even though he takes some servants with him. The text is very clear. Abraham is the one who chopped the wood to get things ready. Abraham is the one who gathered everything together. Abraham's even the one who saddled the donkey. We might wonder, well, why were the servants even there in the first place? But it seems that Abraham understood this was not a responsibility that could be delegated. God told him to go and do this. And I think as the biblical author lays this out for us, he goes into these details of all of these things in order to help us to slow down and to think about what must it have been like for Abraham to take an axe and to chop wood that he was going to lay his son on. They didn't have Zippo lighters back in those days, so they had to carry a fire with them the whole distance. What would it have been like for him to put a torch or put something in the embers there to light it and to carry with him the fire that he was going to put underneath his son. Can you imagine what it would have been like to stretch out his hand and to take that knife with a trembling hand and to think, this is, this is what I'm going to sacrifice my son with. And as they're traveling now, just Abraham and Isaac, Isaac says, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went on, both of them together. Now, we have no indication that, that that Abraham knows what is going to happen. He doesn't know the end of the story yet. But even in this, there seems to be this expression of faith. This confidence in his God. Abraham was holding nothing back from God, not even his own son. And so in verse 9, it says, when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built there the altar, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham held nothing back, not even his own son. And in that moment, verse 10 tells us, uh, verse 11 rather, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, behind him was a a ram who was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called on the name of the Lord in that place. The Lord will provide. That's where we get that that, uh, phrase that some of us are familiar with Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I shall surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So we see that we learn to trust and obey as we hold nothing back. And and, and Abraham here, even not knowing what was going to happen, he was willing to obey God because he knew That God was good, that God was faithful, that the one whom he had relied on in the past was still reliable. And even though he did not understand, he knew that he could be trusted. In fact, uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews helps to shed a little bit of light on the situation in Hebrews chapter 11 and looking back to what Abraham did. the, The author there of Hebrews says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham understood. God has promised, and he has been faithful to his promise, and all of the promises that God has made rest on this son. And so if he says, give him up, I will trust That he has a plan to continue to accomplish his purpose even in this. And though he didn't know what would happen, he, he knew that God was able. Why did he trust God? Because he knew he was able. He was able to resurrect him if that was necessary. I'm sure that he had fears. But here in this passage, we're told that not only did he hold nothing back, but the angel of the Lord, when he stays Abraham's hand, he declares, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And again, this is not a a statement of now I know what I didn't know before, but it is now, it's sort of a, here is a proving of this. Really, it was more about a proving to Abraham than it was to the Lord And then we see this repetition of the announcement of the promise. We've seen it multiple times. The promise concerning Isaac that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this pointing to to Christ. Uh, uh, Through him, uh, 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 there will be a great number of descendants, more than anyone can count. But what's really interesting in this passage is that um, we also see... A foreshadowing of Christ himself. Now, we want to be careful that we don't try to read too much into a passage that we allow as we're studying Scripture, each passage to stand, in a sense, on its own two feet. But throughout the history of the church, there's been much recognition of this. Uh, For one thing, Mount Moriah, the place to which he goes, would later become the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. So it is on that place where sacrifices would be offered that he prepares to make the sacrifice in obedience to God. Standing there on that, this, this mountain, on this hill, he would have been able to see the place where generations later all the nations of the earth would be blessed when Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross. It's interesting, the passage talks about the fact that this happened on the third day. What happened on the third day? Well, the sacrifice was about to happen on the third day. But in a sense, Isaac was given back to Abraham on that third day. Just as it was the third day that Christ rose from the grave. We're told specifically that even though Abraham prepared and cut the wood, that he laid the wood on Isaac, that Isaac had to carry the wood himself. And there seems to be, and, and the church throughout the ages has recognized this, even as a pointing towards the fact that in like manner, Jesus would bear his own cross, carrying it to the altar of his sacrifice. We see in this passage a substitution that is made, that one is spared while another is sacrificed, that Isaac is set free. Well here, the ram is sacrificed. And all through the Scriptures, we see this pointing to the fact that the Messiah, when He comes, that Jesus Christ, when He went to the cross, He went as a substitutionary atonement. That is, He took the place of another. Took the place of us. He hung on the cross to bear our sin. For he himself was sinless. And again, the reiteration that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's very interesting if we had the time to go into it, that the language that is used in this portion of the passage refers to a plural. Your offspring plural will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the sea. but then when it talks about the the, the inheriting the gate of the uh, of the enemies and about all the nations being blessed through your offspring, it is offspring singular. it is pointing to one who will come through this line, and so even here in this passage, we see a pointing forward. a a greater fulfillment of what we see here. That because God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. But while God As we think of this passage, he does not call us to sacrifice our children. There may be some days where we wish we could. But while he does not call us to sacrifice our children as a burnt offering, he does call us to live in such a way that we hold nothing back from him. So that as we surrender all to him, we experience that he is the God who provides, that he is Jehovah Jireh that we see that He can be trusted, that we see that, that, that when, we, when we give up all things to Him, it leads to that which is good and brings joy and brings blessing, that when we lay down all before Him, that we find Him to be greater than all. Jim Elliott, a great missionary who was martyred for the faith, Shortly before he had gone to his death, he had, not knowing what was going to happen, he had penned something in his journal, and one of the things he had penned in his journal was the statement, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what Abraham understood was that it was better to obey god and lay down even his son to hold nothing back from god and jesus even says to his disciples in the new testament he says if you desire to anyone who desires to keep his life must lose it We need to lay all things down in subjection. But here's the problem. It's not easy to do. Often in our lives, we have this idea. We have this attitude. God, I trust you. God, I will follow you. You can have everything, just not this. I, I have to keep my security blanket. Oh, oh you, you want me to trust you with my children? Yeah, um, you, you can have everything else. But no, they're mine. Trust you, just not enough for that. Oh, God, you want me to trust you with this? You know, it it was a terrible blight in the history of the church. But during the era uh, that we know today as the Crusades, uh, where, where there were these wars and these battles over the Holy Land, Uh, between uh, those who at least were professing to be Christians, although I don't think it is an accurate uh, depiction, and and, and those uh, of the Islamic faith. Well, what the Roman Catholic Church would do at that time is they would hire mercenaries to go and fight for them. But they would say, oh, because you're fighting for us, you have first to be baptized. Uh, only then can you be baptized. And so what these mercenaries would do, because they just wanted to get paid, and hey, if we get to fight as well, that's a great thing, right? They would go down into the waters to be baptized, and they, but they would draw their sword before they went into the waters. And as they went to be baptized, they would draw their sword, they would hold it over their head, and then they would be baptized. And it was a declaration to say, God, I submit all things to you except my sword. Because then they felt free that they could go into battle and they could do whatever they chose in war. And one of the greatest struggles we face in the Christian life is that if we're honest, every single one of us has something. That when we go through the waters of baptism, when we bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're wrestling with and we're saying, "Uh, God, I give it all to you. All except for this. What is your this? What is your this? Let me sound a warning to you. God's coming for that. He wants you to lay that down and to find that whatever that is, what He has, is better. I want you to lay that down and to discover the joy that comes when we hold nothing back from Him. But here's the thing. Uh, 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 God is calling us to hold nothing back from Him, so we should not fear, but we should fear Him. Oh, that doesn't make sense. What what do you mean? You see, we have to understand that it was because Abraham feared God that he held nothing back from Him. That's what the angel of the Lord declares. He says... Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son. You see, it was because because Abraham feared God that he didn't fear anything else. I'm sure he had all sorts of fears. I'm sure he feared having a dead son. I'm sure he feared what's going to happen to the promise if I sacrifice my boy. I'm sure he feared, I'm a hundred years old. The first one was a miracle. It, it, it's too much to expect that I would get another one. I'm sure he feared going back to Sarah and saying, Oh, so honey, um, hey, um, I killed our son, the one we've been waiting. I'm sure he feared that, right? But he feared God more than all other fears, so he could hold nothing back often we live in fear and it's not unusual but we live in fear in our family relationships and so we don't practice repentance and forgiveness in our homes because we fear that we might lose this sense of respect if we admit that we're wrong or we fear that we might lose control if we if we forgive people then we're releasing them and now we don't get to guilt them over that stuff anymore we fear that if we tell the truth at work, then we might lose our job. We fear all sorts of things. We fear people. We fear loss. We fear fear. And the reason that we hold so tightly to things is because we fear Losing our grip on them we fear the idea of being out of control We fear the idea of letting anyone even god Have control of that But god wants us to hold nothing back from him He wants us to let go of fear and fear him instead because fearing god is the antithesis of fear that sounds strange I know But what exactly is the fear of God? When we fear God, it is rightly reverencing and honoring Him as God. When we fear God, it is a recognition of His awesome power that we are submitting ourselves to in confidence and in trust. And listen, when we fear God, what we are doing is we are surrendering all other fears and choosing Him above all. That's why Jesus was able to say in Matthew ten twenty eight, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, he's saying, why do you fear all of these other things? You even fe- you, you fear that somebody can take your life. Well, well guess what? There's one greater. If you're going to fear anything, fear God. Because here's the secret. When we rightly fear God, what is there to fear? When we are in right standing before God, when we know that we are in His hands, the hands of the one who rules and reigns over all things, what more is there to fear? So the author of Hebrews says, Know that I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, what do you have to fear, old man? What do you have to fear? What it means is that at the end of the day, all other fears that we could ever contrive are ultimately insignificant when compared to our state before our eternal God. When we fear God above all else, it takes the teeth out of every other fear. When we yield ourselves fully to Him in awe and wonder, acknowledging Him as God, holding nothing back from Him who is good, kind, wise, holy, righteous, just, loving, perfect, all powerful. What do we have to fear? And so Abraham feared God and he laid down even his son, his only son, at the altar, knowing that God would not leave him short knowing that God would not fail to provide, knowing that God would not cease to be exactly who God is. So what about us? Is there an altar that we need to lay something down at? We sang that song a little earlier, Oh, come to the altar. What is it? that you have been holding on to? What is it that you have been keeping in the storage closet of your life and saying, I might need that later so God will give you everything else but not that? Is there something that we need to lay down so that we hold nothing back from Him? Because when we choose to submit our fears to God instead of fear, then we will find freedom. Freedom. And when we obediently follow after God, holding nothing back, then we will find that He is always faithful to His promise and that He is able to provide for our every need. God is calling us, just as He did with Abraham, to hold nothing back, to fear Him and nothing else. And perhaps we do that we cry out with hearts that resound with that beautiful old hymn all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. Can you say that? Do you trust Him enough to obey? Father, we cannot even begin to imagine what it would be like to have you call us to lay down our own child as you did Abraham. And yet we thank you that you called him to do that, and that in doing it, you showed yourself once again to be eternally good and faithful. And through Abraham's example, we have learned that when we hold nothing back from you, that you delight to teach us again of your great love and faithfulness. Lord, I pray for my own life and for each one of us gathered here, that you would expose within us those areas that we are trying to keep back. And Lord, that we would bring them to you in full surrender. Thankful in the knowledge of the fact that there is no safer place to be than in your hands. Lord, we entrust our finances to you. Even though that's an area we were often tempted to fear, we entrust our children to You. We often struggle with fear concerning them. Lord, we entrust our homes, our jobs, our possessions to You. Lord, help us to fear You and not the loss of such things. Lord, we entrust our health to You. We know that You are sovereign and that You are good in sickness or in health. And so, Lord, we choose to fear You, even rather than death itself. And we thank You for Your great faithfulness and for the knowledge that through Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. Not even death itself. So, Lord, here we are. All to Jesus we surrender. Oh God, by your Spirit, would you cause those words to not simply be words on our lips, but to be reflected each day in every area of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Will you please uh, join us by standing to worship one more time in body or in spirit? (music) Oh. <music>
3: Who could ever say
6: Thank you for being with us today for worship. We invite you to stick around and connect with one another, greet someone perhaps you've not met before, but go in the knowledge of this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but willingly gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? But what do we have to fear? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all, All creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So go now in the fear of the Lord, in the love of the Lord, to serve Him and to make Him known. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.